Right, Titus chapter 3. Uh, we are looking now from the foundation of Titus 1 to a healthy church, to the structure of a healthy church in Titus 2, and now the fruit of a healthy church. So if you go into a house uh, to look at for a house, you probably don't notice the structure first. You probably don't notice the foundation first. What you probably notice first is the decor. If it's outdated, if it is torn up, the person before had a large dog that just chewed on everything, that's gonna be obvious as you walk through a house. The paint, the curtains, the walls, uh, the any, anything that's had a leak, you'll probably notice that'll catch your eye. And so when it comes to a healthy church, uh, you may not notice, you maybe assume the foundation is, is good. In Titus 1, the foundation would be salvation and leadership. Uh, and you walk into a church, you assume, okay, well, it looks like they've got, they, they, they don't assume salvation, but the people here are believers and they've got, it seems like a healthy, strong leadership. So that's kind of uh, not usually the first thing people notice. Um, the second thing would be godly men and women helping each other, everybody contributing to a healthy church in Titus 2. And that's usually behind the scenes. That's usually ongoing. And you may not notice that at first. But what people usually notice in a church first is going to be Titus 3. Okay. And because what you see in someone's life, obviously, is fruit. Or this is going to say good works. Okay. So good works are going to be the evidence of a healthy foundation and the structure of Titus 2, where this is the last thing that um, you do when you decorate a house or when you build a house. Make sure the foundation's good. You make sure the walls are strong, the roof's on. The final thing you do is the paint and the flooring. And then you come in, if you buy a house, and you decorate it to make it yours, okay? So the decorating, uh, the flooring, the paint, all of that is just, if that's the only thing your house needs, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's got good bones. It's got a good foundation. I'm not going to have major problems with the foundation or the roof or the furnace, things that you can't see but are going to cost you a lot. So just the flooring or just the walls, uh, just the, the curtains or whatever. Okay, we can update that. And that's, that's just uh, an easier fix. But Anyone who wants to get top dollar for their house, they usually pay someone to stage it. So they usually say, hey, you got to get rid of these things. They look really dated. You've got to paint. You've got to even borrow furniture to put in a house so that it will sell for a top dollar. And so that's the fruit. Now, when it comes to a healthy church, uh, the fruit of the church is what we can see in someone's life and what's obvious. So if, if the fruit's wrong, then we're going to assume something is wrong with the structure of the church. And if something's wrong with the structure of the church in chapter two, then likely something's wrong with the foundation of chapter one. So we're going to work our way backwards. If something's unhealthy, that we're not seeing fruit of chapter three, then someone needs likely to be discipled in chapter two so that their life does produce fruit. If there's no one to disciple someone in chapter two, then maybe you don't aren't working with believers or they're believing false teachers from chapter one. Okay. So we can see how we work, we work our way backwards uh, in, in the 
a logical progression of how a healthy church uh, functions, should function. So Titus 3 gets into the fruit. We're just going to likely look at three different uh, times here. We're not going to, we're going to pick up the speed uh, here, having slowed down in chapter 2. Uh, so we're going to try to cover the first five verses uh, today of Titus 3. All right, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. All right, so if you compare uh, verse 1, uh, look down with me at uh, verse 8, and you'll see a, a phrase that parallels verse 1. I'll let you find that in verse 8, the end of verse, near, uh, near the end of verse 8. What do you see the phrase that parallels verse 1? Good works. Good works, right. So this is why I'm saying this is fruit, because works are something that everyone can see. So this is the evidence that you are godly, is that you have good works. So 1 and 8 are going to be almost like bookends, where he's going to describe um, um, good works. And he starts with the word, remind them. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I need reminders. And when someone says to you, hey, can we meet on Tuesday at 10 o'clock? Like, what do you, what do we normally say? Let me check my calendar. And then if my calendar is clear, then let me write it down. And thankful for technology, it, we can even set a, a reminder because it can be 30 minutes before or an hour before. And if you got to meet someone a half hour away, you don't want to set it five minutes before because then you're going to be late. <laughs> so you set it an hour before. Oh yeah, I've got this, or I got this dentist appointment or whatever. Something out of the ordinary that's once every six months, like a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment or something you don't want to miss. So you set a reminder. And then if you meet someone at a random time that you don't normally meet them uh, weekly, you have to set a reminder because you know in the course of events, you're going to forget. So the last elders meeting we had, the guys had to text me because I forgot. <laughs> I was going, going about my day. We normally have elders meeting every other Wednesday, and they moved it to Thursday. And Thursday morning, I'm up, ready to go. I'm getting ready to do my thing. And, and I get a text, hey, uh, we're on, and we're having a meeting without you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. oh, no. Okay. Uh, yep. Sorry. Um, I didn't schedule something else then, but I just wasn't thinking uh, about that. Forgot to set the reminder. So he says here, remind them. Uh, and you can only be reminded if there's something he's, he's talking to Christians here. Um, if he's dealing with unbelievers, he's going to have to not remind them because they, they would have to be um, repenting and trusting Christ, but Christians need reminders. So what we have in the life of our church is a reminder like this Sunday, communion. In the front of our communion table, we have this due in remembrance of me. We have a reminder every four weeks at church of what we have in common. What we have most in common is Christ, his death, his resurrection, and we rem remind ourselves of the tremendous cost to pay for our sin. That keeps us humble. That keeps us remembering because we're forgetful people. And so Titus here is told after uh, very clear, sound, healthy teaching of chapter two, he gets into chapter three and says, remind them to do certain things or to be a certain way. He says, remind them to be submissive 
to rulers and authorities. Same word he has used previously about uh, wives submitting to their husbands in verse 5 of chapter 2. And the same word for slaves to be submissive to their own masters. So this is to put yourself under. What does he say? Remind them to be, this is all Christians in a healthy church, in a culture that's very ungodly. Remind them to be submissive or put themselves under rulers and authorities. Now, if you think that politicians today are corrupt, put yourself back on the island of Crete. If you're on an island of Crete that everyone's a liar, violent, evil, and lazy, let's imagine their leaders are not too far off from that same thing too. They're powerful people that have clawed their way to the top, and now they're likely ruthless, they're cruel. Um, this is not uh, the Roman Empire leaders, but they are likely, we know Nero, uh, cruel, ruthless as well over the whole empire. But your local magistrates and other judges and authorities that you have in your towns and cities in Crete are likely not great people to, that you want to. But he says, be submissive to them. What does submission look like in verse 3, 1? To be obedient. That sounds pretty simple, right? <laughs> Obey the 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 rules that you have in place and when you do that then you're ready for every good work see whenever you're disobeying rules you're always looking at your show like uh am i gonna get caught <laughs> when you're obeying the rules um you're ready now to look not looking over your shoulder but you're able to look around and see who needs help and so if you are the godly person of chapter two, following godly leadership of chapter one, you now have a healthy church, you have a healthy body, you're functioning well, and now you're able to look outside of the walls of your church and say, how should we respond to the leadership in our town or in our city, in, our, in the island of Crete, in the Roman Empire? Well, Titus has some instruction through Paul and says, okay, I want you to be submissive to the authorities, um, secular uh, government, to be obedient. This sounds uh, like Romans 13 as well. Uh, to be ready for every good work. So when we are obedient, we're ready to serve people around us. We're already serving people within the church in chapter two. Now we're looking outside the walls and serving. We're ready to serve people outside, but we're only ready if we're obedient and submissive um, in our hearts and in our lives. So being submissive and obedient to earthly rulers or authorities. What else does this look like? Or it makes us ready for every good work. Um, how else do we get ready for serving people outside the church? Well, you can't speak evil of anyone. Now in a lying, evil, lazy culture, there is constant slander of the leadership. I can't believe there are representative. I can't believe there are, and today would be in the House, Senate. Um, I can't believe he's our president. Christians should not say that. And you can think that, because, <laughs> but you shouldn't think it for very long, or you're not going to be submissive or obedient. 
you're going to always be angry. I can't believe I didn't vote for him. I can't believe they're in the White House or they're in the Senate or whatever it is, or these laws are being passed. Okay, our job isn't to control elections and <laughs> control everyone. God controls the heart of the king. God controls the heart of the emperor in the Roman Empire. God controls the magistrates. And sometimes he allows really wicked people to rule over us. And our response is to still be submissive to them and obedient and not speak evil of anyone. It says, uh, continuing uh, in verse two, to avoid quarreling. So if you're talking with your unsaved neighbor and they want to speak evil of authority, or maybe they love the corrupt leaders, <laughs> you're not going to quarrel with them about the corruption. Um, quarreling is fighting. It's uh, This is a fruit. Whenever two people are quarreling, you're like, I don't think those people like each other. <laughs> we want to know nothing about what they're saying, but how they're talking to each other isn't godly it's ungodly and in a lying evil lazy culture this happens all the time and so we don't need to be part of it now we can observe it but we don't need to be in the ring uh uh fighting so instead of we're avoiding quarreling if someone wants to argue with us about election or politics or things that are we're, we have opinions, obviously, about about things, but we don't need to fight about it. Instead, we are to be gentle. We're ready for every good work when we avoid speaking evil and avoid quarreling. And we're ready to serve people around us outside of the church when we are gentle. This is a wonderful word. What is gentle? Gentle is, I've heard it explained something like this, a sumo wrestler being able to hold a baby. Someone who has tremendous strength and power, but he doesn't have to display that strength and power because he's not in a ring trying to bump his opponent out of the ring. He's holding his son or grandson in a very gentle way. Considerate. Another word for gentle is considerate. So there, we all love gentle people. The pastor that mentored me that I appreciated most was his, his, his gentleness. When we, in, um, when we bought a house, went from rental to a house, this gentle pastor says to me as a youth pastor, and I had, I think, um, two kids at the time. My wife was staying home. He's like, you know what? Take this week off and... Make sure your wife's happy and paint the walls in your house and hang pictures up and keep your cell phone on. And if we need you, we'll call you. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> like, that was a very considerate thing for him to do. And it, there was a lot, obviously, to do at church, but he was gentle in a way that considerate. And so when it comes to relationships, are, would someone say that you are gentle or considerate? Like, consider means who are, who are you dealing with? Okay, when you're holding a baby, it is not the time to <laughs> uh, high five and everything when you're watching a football game and your team is close to winning. It's 
No, you you talk differently when you hold the baby. You're quiet. You're careful. You're, you're considerate because you don't want to wake the baby up. And when you're dealing with different people, not just leadership. Now, we have to be considered as Pastor Ty and I go to the hospital. We don't know exactly what we're getting into at times. Um, and But gentleness needs to be in our mind. Like, consider that this may be a very short visit because someone may be having intense pain. And I've been in the hospital, went to the emergency room one time, and I was there like 10 seconds. <laughs> like, hey, this is not a good time for me to be here. There was pain. <laughs> there was help. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be in the way here. So um, other times uh, it is, it's a lot longer. So going into situations and people, everybody's different. And if we will learn your neighbors, your unsaved neighbors uh, to be gentle is to be considerate of them and to think, okay, I'm not here to fight or quarrel, or win an argument, um, deb debate all these things. I'm going to try to be gentle, considerate of them. Sometimes spending five seconds talking to them, sometimes spending five hours if they are in, in trouble or they need a friend or whatever it is. And so this is how we as uh, believers are reminding ourselves to be submissive to the authorities and then be ready to serve people around us by we're planning to not speak evil of anyone. We're planning to avoid quarreling. We're planning to be gentle or considerate. We would say, read the room, uh, consider what's going on, what is appropriate, uh, talking, not talking, listening, whatever it is. That's a gentle person. And then to show perfect courtesy uh, to all people. This word uh, courtesy has the idea of humility as well or meekness. So ready to be humble toward how many people? Look at what it says. Toward all people. Everybody loves humble people. <laughs> Nobody loves proud people. If you're related to or married to, uh, or you have a relative that you hate to get together with them at Thanksgiving or Christmas because they always talk about themselves, you're like, here we go again. I have to listen to this. <laughs> They're very proud. And that is not showing perfect courtesy toward all people. And uh, sometimes we have to draw people, quiet people out and get them to talk to us. And if we are gentle and showing courtesy, humility with them, we'll be able to have a conversation with even quiet people in a way that they appreciate, they enjoy talking to us. So these are fruits of are we ready to show good works toward others are we are we ready to be used of the lord to reach out beyond the walls of our church verse three for we ourselves were and then he's going to give a list of sins so when you and i are in a culture that's very ungodly and we have to be godly okay? we are ready to be godly when we have this kind of mindset verses one and two and when we have this mindset, God can use us to reach out. But know that you, when you reach out to people that are in a lying, lazy, evil culture, you're likely going to talk to people that were a lot like you were before you were saved. Okay, that's what he's going to say here. Hey, remember what you were like. Remember how maybe Christians got under your skin because they were judgmental, they were harsh, they were unkind, whatever it was that... and like you know what when now that i'm a christian i remember what it was like to, to 
to talk uh, to have people uh, want to talk to me um, and uh, want to just uh, convert me and want to brainwash me or whatever you thought about Christians uh, before you were saved. But he says, remember what you were like. If you're going to be like verse two, you need to be rem reminded of what you were like. And this goes along with remind in verse one. So remember what you were like, for we ourselves, we were like this. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I just came this morning from speaking in elementary chapel and secondary chapel. And I was in a Christian school. So I remember what it's like to be in a chapel on the receiving end. I remember the conversations that my classmates had in elementary school, and they looked a lot like this. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is every single fleshly group is like this. And then you think, okay, high school, was it any better? Eh, we got more sophisticated. We got better at hiding our, and read verse three again. <laughs> we got more sophisticated, more. We knew when to stop so we wouldn't get in trouble. But this is how kids treat each other. This is how immature, this is what immaturity looks like. And when you have a lying, lazy, evil culture, this is what everybody's like. We're part of that. Now we're saved out of it. And if God's going to use us to be gentle and courteous, courteous and submissive and obedient, then we got to remind ourselves what we were like. We were like this. Your teachers in elementary school, if they could tell us what you were like, they'd probably use some of these words. <laughs> my teachers, I had to go back to my church and preach and what my third, second or third grade teacher was there listening to me preach and man I was a real pill in second and third grade for sure I was awful I can tell you all of a lot of the things that I did to make her life miserable and and my classmates okay because my life looked like this and if we were honest your life would look like this too <clears throat> so remind yourself of what God saved you from if you're going to reach out to people around you that are foolish, disobedient, led astray, they're slaves of various passions, they're confused, they're passing their days going from one activist thing holding signs for pro-abortion to pro-Hamas to stuff you're like, what? What are you doing? Well, they don't know. They're hated by others. They think their goal is to rid the world of all hatred while hating people like you're trying to rid the world of hatred but you're hating in the process <laughs> like okay you're in the world of your hatred first okay but they're not seeing it okay so this is how we lived too and this keeps us humble to remind ourselves of what god saved us from and then verse four how god saved us keeps us humble and ready for every good work but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Now, what phrase in Titus has the, does this sound like? We've heard this word appeared before. And it's back in verse 11. Let's compare 2.11 to 
So 2.11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And we said that grace appearing at a moment in time is very likely our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he is, in John 1, the description of him is he is full of grace and truth. You want to see God's grace and truth in a life, you look at Christ. And everyone who is saved as a Christian says, yeah, I remember the day of my salvation. I remember when I went from verse 3 of Titus 3 to verse 4. It sounds also like um, Ephesians 2, where we were once dead in trespasses and sins. We were disobedient. We're following Satan. We're just giving ourselves over to all kinds of uh, gross uh, wickedness. And then it says, but God, who is rich in mercy. It sounds also like Romans 5 that we just heard Sunday where he explains our salvation. Romans 5 and Titus 3 are so parallel, and you can compare those. But here in verse 4, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, you compare verse 4 with verse 3. The exact opposite of verse 3 is our God. Christ comes to a wicked, ungodly world, and his life is perfect goodness perfect loving kindness to people that don't deserve it, people that hate him, people that mock him, people that put him on a cross. Thinking, wow, what does perfect goodness and loving kindness look like? It looks like God our Savior. And he appeared. Why does he appear? Verse 5. To save us. Back in verse 11 of 2, when God's grace appears, he brought salvation. Now here in verse 5, we're ready for good works when we're reminded of what God did to rescue us. He saved us. And he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. He didn't look at a lying, evil, lazy culture and says, okay, what people have the most potential or the least wicked of the group? <laughs> I'm going to choose them. That's not who God chose. 1 Corinthians tells us who God chose. Who did he choose? The weak, the unwise, the lowly. He, our, our, our good works, our less wickedness, isn't, didn't help God choose us. Okay? it's We weren't chosen because of our works. Our works had nothing to do with God choosing us or saving us. It's not because of our works done. Because if it was, then we wouldn't be gentle and humble and submissive like he wants us to be up in verse one if it's not of works then that shows us that we can submit to god's word because god because god saved us why did he save us because he is good and loving is his good goodness and loving kindness and that matches romans 5 8 god while we were yet sinners christ died for us because he loved us here, the love of our Savior and the goodness is why he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The standard of our salvation, the reason Christ saved us, it was according to his own mercy. Our description here in verse 3 matches our description that we saw Sunday in Romans 5, uh, 6 to 10 that ungodly enemies of God, deserving God's wrath, sinners. That's what we saw in Romans 5. That's what we see here, summarized for the 
for Titus in verse 3. And God saved us. How did he save us? Well, he saved us according to his mercy, to magnify his mercy. He does two things to rescue us, us rotten sinners of verse 3. And we need to remind ourselves of this if we're going to be ready to serve him, ready to serve other people. And that is that he has washed us, the washing of regeneration, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what is washing and regeneration? Um, the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is um, another way of saying, like John 3, being born again. So Nicodemus had to understand what it meant to be born again, and the Holy Spirit's required for anyone <laughs> to be born again. We know from Ephesians 2, the only way that we are um, inheriting heaven, where we have a seat in heavenly places, is because God is rich in mercy. Because God, who made us once dead, he is the one who made us alive. This is a re regeneration means to make something uh, to born to be born again. And God's spirit regenerates us from the inside. And then it says here, renewal of the Holy Spirit. This word renewal can, uh, it likely means restore either to something like new or to be its intended use. So if we're not useful to God because we're like the world, and if the, the worldly Christians in, the, in Titus's churches on the island of Crete aren't very useful, they're not going to be useful in chapter two to help older and younger. They're going to be resisting of growth and godliness. They're going to be resisting God's grace. And then here in chapter three, they're not going to be submissive. They're not going to be ready to serve outside the church either. Because they, they need reminding of where what they were saved from and then how they were saved. The Holy Spirit regenerates them and the Holy Spirit renews them, restoring them for its intended use. Now, some of you like cars and some of us admire people that take a car that is, let's say, 70 years old and it is got weeds growing up through it. It's got rust. The engine hasn't run for years. That car was not created to sit in a field and have and be a home for mice. It was meant to drive on the road, but it's going to take a lot of renewal. It's going to take a lot of restoration to get that car who was once in the field useless uh, as a home for animals <laughs> to be on the road safe. Uh, and so God wants us to see, reminding us of when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, he also it's in the process of renewing us by his spirit. And uh, we're going to read more about that. So that our intended use is that we're made in the image of God to reflect God's glory. And if you look at the Cretans, they're not reflecting God's glory. You know what they're reflecting? Worse, the worst of humanity. But not so for the Christian. As God's spirit comes inside of us and makes us alive, he makes us alive so that we can be ready for good works, so that he can use these once corrupt bodies to magnify his, his power, to magnify, according to verse 4, to magnify God's goodness and his loving kindness. And we can be good and loving kind uh, to those around us if we will understand and remind ourselves of what God has done to rescue us. Stop here.